With hormonal birth control, like many medications, it's aimed at targeting one system, but like almost every medication, it has an impact on other systems. And with hormonal birth control, it impacts every single system in your body. Hi, and welcome to the Mastering Your Fertility podcast. This show is all about reclaiming health, enhancing fertility, and preparing for pregnancy. We're Kristen Cornett and Dr. Haley Nye, your hosts and the creators of the online fertility platform, Tiny Feet. Tiny Feet is all about educating and empowering couples to help them overcome fertility struggles, conceive successfully, and have healthy, thriving babies. You can learn more about who we are and what we do on our website at tinyfeet.co. And we also invite you to follow along with us on Instagram at tinyfeet.co. You're listening to episode 23, where we're going to be interviewing naturopathic doctor, women's health expert, and best-selling author, Dr. Jolene Brighton. She's going to talk to us about balancing hormones after coming off hormonal birth control, which is something that a lot of our listeners may be struggling with. I know I've definitely struggled with this personally, and the information Dr. Brighton will be sharing today would have been a godsend to me when I first came off birth control. Now, a lot of women are told that the side effects of birth control are either minimal or or non-existent. And those who do experience unwanted symptoms often have them minimized or completely dismissed by their healthcare professionals. Women are told that birth control has no impact on a woman's ability to conceive once she stops taking it. And yet the evidence says that this isn't the case for all women. We're so thankful to have Dr. Brighton here with us today to unpack some of the myths about birth control and give us better advice on what to do if we've been affected by taking it. So today you're going to learn the many problems that birth control can cause that women simply aren't told about, why these issues don't necessarily resolve when you stop taking the pill and how this can affect your body long-term, how the pill can actually impact a woman's ability to get pregnant after she stops, and why conceiving too soon after stopping may not be the best idea, and what women can do with diet and lifestyle to recover their health, balance their hormones, and boost their fertility. This interview is absolutely packed with valuable and actionable information, and we can't wait to share it with you. And if you want to get a better idea of whether the information Dr. Brighton is sharing today can help you, we invite you to take our free quiz called, Are You Healthy Enough to Get Pregnant? This quiz walks you through five categories of symptoms and will help you identify whether you're dealing with some of the specific issues that Dr. Brighton mentions as potential side effects from taking hormonal birth control. We help you evaluate for nutrient deficiencies, inflammation, poor gut health, hormone imbalances, and more. And we also give you actionable recommendations for addressing your symptoms in each of these categories. So you'll know where you need to focus your efforts to recover your health and fertility. You can download the quiz through the link in the episode description. All right, so let's get started and introduce you to our wonderful guest this week. Dr. Jolene Brighton is a functional naturopathic medical doctor and nutritional biochemist with a focus in women's endocrine health. She is recognized as a leading expert in post-birth control syndrome and the long-term side effects associated with hormonal contraceptives. Dr. Brighton is the author of Beyond the Pill, a 30-day plan to support women on birth control, help them transition off, and eliminate symptoms of post birth control syndrome. She is a speaker, women's health advocate, and a medical advisor for one of the first data-driven apps to offer women personalized birth control recommendations. You can find links to Dr. Brighton's work, 
her book, Beyond the Pill, and an amazing free guide on getting started with a post-birth control detox diet through the link in the episode description. We're so honored to have her, and we hope you enjoy the interview. All right. Welcome, Dr. Brighton. Thank you so much for being on with us today. Hey there. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to address this topic. This actually isn't one that we've covered on the podcast yet, but it's so important. I mean, obviously, we're, uh, we're going toward a fertility-based market here, and um, we have absolutely have to address birth control and hormones and balancing after birth control. So really happy to have you here to share your work and talk about your book, which we absolutely love. Yes, we have it right here for those yep. who are seeing the video. <laughs> Yeah, no, this is super great. So why don't you start off by giving us a little bit of background on you and how you got into naturopathic medicine and how you got into women's health and hormones. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, the the long story, <laughs> there's a very long story to this, but like since a childhood, I've been very interested in natural medicine and, you know, anytime I'd go to like a conference or something and be like geared towards, you know, health, I'd be super, super interested in like, what are things that you can do at home? Now, I was a sick kid. I spent a decade struggling. And uh, after that decade of struggling, they discovered H. pylori. I had an H. pylori infection. And, you know, it, doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And so it came to a point where they were telling me that, like, I just was seeking attention and these symptoms were in my head. Um, very necessary part of my journey as I look back, you know, being in elementary school and then going into high school with this struggle. And what happened was, the paper was published on H. pylori, so they made this new discovery in medicine. I went to a doctor who had happened to go to a conference that they presented this paper, and from there, he's like, we should test for this. And it was very new at the time. H. pylori was also very controversial, and lo and behold, that's what I had. And so I was treated for that given a proton pump inhibitor and at 17 told that you would have to take this medication for the rest of your life. This is before these were ever over the counter and there was no research to support using this pharmaceutical in someone as young as me. Um, and when I was on it, I noticed things, I felt like my head and my body weren't attached. Like I had massive, massive brain fog. It's very interesting now, fast forward like two decades later to see the research coming out on how it impacts neurological health. But being 17, I was non-compliant. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to take a pill every day. <laughs> and then I found birth control. <laughs> and, then, and I think it's so funny because I, I remember saying to my doctor, like, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to take a pill every day. And then go to the gynecologist. I've got period problems. I had really heavy, painful periods. I bled, you know, for more than a week. Hated my period for a good three years. Um, I think I spent like a I don't know, maybe a good like 15 years hating my body um, and thinking that periods made me the lesser and my hormones and my body were betraying me. And when I was past the pill and given this option to control my reproductive health, I was super excited. I even spent a few years just not having a period because I was so much smarter than my body. Mm -hmm. um, and this may be your story and I'm not shaming you if anybody's listening. This is my story and my experience and me laughing at my 20-something year old self. Because then there was that moment where I was like, hold up, something's not right here. Like your body by design is having a period every month and yet I'm on this medication. Little did I know it was just a withdrawal bleed and not a legit period. 
And so I spent a long time, 10 years on hormonal birth control, super grateful I had that tool to become a first generation college student. But I look back at all the struggles I had, the food sensitivities, the random inflammation and swelling, the mood symptoms that I had, the fact I had no libido and an inability to orgasm through my 20s. Yes, that's as lame as it sounds. Sounds pretty lame. (laughs) It's super lame. It's super, super lame. And um, like chronic yeast infections, all kinds of issues that nobody ever said, hey girl, it might be the pill. In fact, a lot of the times I was told like, no, that's just normal. That's like what women go through. Like this is your normal. This is the way your body's supposed to be. And, you know, I went... So in all of this time, I was studying a lot of science. So my first degree is in chemistry, next degree in nutritional biochemistry with concurrent clinical nutrition. That was the first place I ever learned that hormonal birth control depleted nutrients. And at that point, it had already been on for five years. And I'm like, hold up. My doctor told me a multivitamin was just expensive urine, that like I take that and it's just a waste. And I remember the dietitian teaching was just laughing. and like, wait, what? Your doctor said what? Like, if you're on a medication that depletes nutrients, of course you need to be on a multivitamin. And then there's this little, very well-known fact in medicine, not so well-known by women everywhere, is that the pill is only 91% effective with typical use. And so that means nine out of a hundred women are going to get pregnant while they're on it. And while you're on it, it's depleting folate and B12 and all of these really crucial nutrients that you need, you need for baby before you ever know you're pregnant. And so that's why a lot of experts agree. If you're in your reproductive years and you're using the pill and you're trying to prevent pregnancy or you're trying to manage symptoms, there's a risk. If you're sexually active, you could become pregnant. You need to be on a multivitamin or prenatal. And we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. So with all of that, I, you know, was actually going, so I was doing master's research work and I was getting my master's. I was actually going to get my PhD in nutrition. I had a full ride scholarship, everything schooling was going to be paid for. And for anybody, so I'm talking to a doctor right now, you know how expensive it is to become a doctor. Oh my gosh. The things that, again, that I'm like, wow, like the things I didn't know. I don't know if I would do anything differently, but it's significant when somebody's like, I'm going to pay for your education versus you've got to pay for your education. Um, So with that, I actually walked away from that. And when I found naturopathic medicine and I thought I was going to specialize in gut health and that was going to be my focus. And um, good thing it was because that's the foundation of everything. But with that, I came to observe that a lot of things are done to women in women's health. Women aren't active participants. They're told um, most of the time that their symptoms are not real or that they can just be suppressed. They're not taught about their body. I certainly wasn't taught about how my body worked and until really, I feel I had multiple physiology classes, but it didn't click until naturopathic medical school where we talk about how to get pregnant, which is, I'm sure, your guys' experience as well. That is the time a woman comes to know how her body actually works is when she wants to get pregnant. I don't know why in society we think we just reserve that until you opt into pregnancy because there's lots of us who don't want to have babies and that's totally cool too. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't know how your body works and what's going on. So as I made that observation and I had great clinical instructors who demonstrated there is another way in women's medicine, I decided to go into women's medicine and start studying there fascination with thyroid from early on. Um, when it comes to people will often ask me like, wow, women's hormones are so complicated. Like, why did you decide to like get into that? And I'm like, well, when you have a background in nutritional biochemistry and you organic chemistry was like one of my favorite classes and you love complex biological pathways, 
hormones just make sense. Everything else is kind of boring. <laughs> study. Yeah. yeah. So with that, uh, so you guys are local in Portland. I'm sure that you know, you've heard of Outside In. It's the Homeless Youth Clinic. Mm-hmm. At that time when I was in school, I did two years of rotations there, high-risk population, lots of dispensing of birth control, lots of depo shots given because these women are at high risk for sexual assault. They also don't have access to things that a lot of people take for granted, like tampons, pads, ways to actually manage your period with dignity. And so having a contraceptive that would shut down their periods was something that was just bliss for them. And so this is another reason why I'm not anti-birth control because because I see that there is a time and a place, and it's 100% your right to opt into that, uh, but you need all the information to do that. And as I went through two years of that, and noticing that we gave a lot more information in this state-funded clinic, because you had to if you wanted to keep your funding, then was happening in like a general internal MD's office, you know, I'm like, there's a lot of information women aren't getting. But as I started my private practice, I was like, I don't want to talk about birth control anymore. It's so boring and I just hate it. And I'm fatigued. (laughs) (laughs) And then my husband's like, yeah. And then you wrote a whole book on it. Um, And that really came out of working with my patients one-on-one. I, you know, I personally struggled when I came off of birth control and my doctor did a good job making me think I was the only one. And then I came to observe that most of us, if not all of us, struggle in some way to break up with birth control. And as I gained the reputation where patients would literally call my office and say, I hear that you're the doctor who believes women's birth control stories. Um, I thought that was so weird until I sat with them one-on-one and realized that they were being dismissed, that there were a lot of things going on that were connected to birth control, but doctors were refusing to make the connection, do the investigation, or ever question something that had been an instrument in women's movement and why we graduate college at a higher rate. I mean, there's so many things that we, so many benefits that we've seen with this. There's many of the side effects and things that birth control does in our body that I wasn't aware of until I sat down in PubMed and really read through. And as I started reading through, I mean, studies back in the seventies being like, hey, we know this about birth control, yet no one had ever mentioned this to me while I had been on it. Even in you know going through naturopathic medical school, there wasn't a whole lot of discussion about all these things because really, I mean, and people like have to understand, I think if you're not a doctor, there is so much to learn as a doctor. And it's like, I feel like in naturopathic medical school, we get a little more in depth about hormonal birth control than the traditional paradigm. I shouldn't say traditional, conventional is really what it is. <laughs> um, like traditional really implies that like every, <laughs> every culture had like adopted this medicine all along. So with that, um, you know, I pulled in those studies into my clinical practice because as we know, you know, research is one thing. A lot of the time, like we see studies that don't apply clinically at all or the, and, and, you know, people might question that like, wait, what does that actually mean? Well, you have to understand that to get a really clean study, which is what I used to do, um, you need to select the right people to come into your study from the get go. Then you need to, so you cherry pick a population, you put them through a bottleneck, you need to get statistically significant findings. And so at the end of that, who you've actually evaluated and the outcomes may not apply to the general public, right? If we think about birth control, that was designed for young, healthy, reproductive females so that they could delay pregnancy or space out their pregnancies. And yet it's being used today 
in older women, and this is not judgy on you if you're in your forties or anything, but like the pill isn't designed for you. Um, these hormones weren't really designed for this 40 something year old female who has, uh, you know, PCOS and maybe uh, is looking like she's pre-diabetic. Like that's a different consideration in a different population. And yet that is not the way we view birth control when we prescribe it. It's not viewed through the individual lens. It's viewed through the inferences made on these wide, you know, general uh, studies that are done on a different population. And it's a weird thing. It's a very weird thing in women's medicine where they study a man and they say, oh, it applies to a woman. Same, same. It's so bizarre to me. Like, never mind. I just make a baby in my body and you can't yeah. do that. There's a little bit of difference there. But also that like, oh, well, if we did this study and it's 20-somethings, then whatever, same, same. Like, we'll just apply it to like everybody. And we forget, and it's almost like we're supposed to be ashamed that we have these life cycles, right? That like we suddenly start, we go into menarche and we start bleeding or, you know, what happens in um, pregnancy? Oh my God, heaven forbid we talk about the fact that like your vagina gets swollen and that like you could have varicosities <laughs> there. You know, it's stuff like that, that like when it happens to us, we feel alone, we feel isolated, we don't have anyone to talk to. And I think this is certainly true as we transition into perimenopause and menopause. And it's like, we're not supposed to talk about these things that make other people uncomfortable. I don't know who these other people are, who decides who these other people <laughs> exactly. get to be. But it's also that like, we're supposed to feel like a level of shame for each life cycle. Um, and that's a problem from a societal standpoint. But I also think it's a problem in the research where we don't isolate and evaluate because as women, we have very different things going on throughout our life cycle. We're not as static as men. And it frustrates researchers um, because they, it's not as clean to study a woman. We are cyclical by day. We are cyclical throughout the month. And we are complicated, which you know begs the question question is like is evidence-based medicine the way that it's currently set up in this paradigm the best medicine to be evaluating women's health and women's needs we forget now i love me some science i will say that <laughs> and i love i love the evidence-based medicine when it's applied appropriately but it doesn't fit everything and it's a very new it's very new i don't think most people come to realize that like this way of looking at medicine and evaluating treatments it's actually relatively new in in terms of like it, when we're going back through the history of medicine and that it has its flaws as well and that's okay we can recognize it but i think some people have fallen into the trap in which I've fallen into in my 20s. Again, please don't judge my 20-something year old self. I try not to. We never science, judge mine either. Yeah, <laughs> but we're I'm actually you know, thinking like all oh, the things in my 20s. But, you know, in, like it's something where in my 20s, I really, I almost put science on a pedestal as if it was a god and you couldn't question it. And that is belief. That is not science. And that is problematic. And I see that happens a lot where, you know, doctors at your core, you are a scientist, but I will see doctors and hear from doctors who are like evidence-based medicine, like that is everything. And it's like, but if you believe that you just entered into a belief and you've lost your ability to stay curious and open to the possibility that we could come up with a better method for evaluating things. And that's okay. Like we don't just become as we do better in the future. It doesn't mean we did bad in the past. Like it just is like, we didn't have all the information we needed. And that I bring that up because it's very important as we enter in this conversation about birth control to understand that you do the best with the information you have. Nobody is ever served from judging themselves in the past. We can use the past 
to learn from, to move forward and to do better. But shaming yourself, hating on yourself, or being like, oh, that was the worst thing that we ever did. So this person's a bad person. We didn't know what we didn't know. That's the reality. And that's why it's called practicing medicine. And nobody, nobody as a patient, and I, I sit on the end of being a patient, nobody likes to hear, oh, they're practicing medicine. But it is. It's a practice because we don't know everything. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Well, and you know, having good quality evidence for some of these things requires that we ask the right questions in the first place. And that's kind of like an evolving process. And I think you made a really good point about the way we sort of treat women in medicine that has kind of prevented us from asking the right questions, particularly about a medication that nearly everybody gets, you know, prescribed at some point in their journey. Oh, yeah. So you touched on this a little bit as, uh, as you were going through kind of your history and your experience of all the things you didn't know that birth control could potentially cause, but expand on that a little bit for listeners. Like what kinds of things are we talking about? What does birth control do? And what are all these things that we don't know that it can have an impact on? Oh, totally. This was such an eye-opening moment for me. Yeah. How much time do we have? (laughs) So right. Now here's the thing is that this medication was designed to impact the reproductive tract. And the way that birth control works, the pill specifically, it shuts down brain ovarian communication. If you're using like a Mirena IUD, uh, for example, like a progestin-based IUD, you may or may not stop ovulating. Like, and you may keep ovulating and then like two years in, stop ovulating altogether. So it can be very unpredictable, which is where I really see the next um, evolution of science and women's medicine going is asking the question, like stop with the like dismissing women's stories and being like, oh, the connection to uh, depression, that's just a correlation. It's not causation. Therefore, it's not real women. Except anecdotally, this is something that women leave birth control trials for. It's in the package insert. Women have been complaining about this since the introduction of hormonal birth control. At this point, I don't think we need, I still want to see the studies, the mechanism of action and the causation studies coming out, but we don't need to debate if women are telling the truth. And what we really need to do is ask why her and not her. Like why this woman, why does this woman end up with mood symptoms, whereas this woman ends up with gastrointestinal symptoms. And this woman over here, no, she cannot have a baby when she comes off of hormonal birth control. And this woman, she got pregnant like the month that she stopped. Like, what are the differences in women? Because there's certainly differences. Um, We don't all uh, have the same experience with birth control, which is something really important to acknowledge and understand. Because if you're listening to this and you're like, well, my doctor says that they've never seen this before. Well, that doesn't mean that what you're experiencing isn't true. With hormonal birth control, like many medications, it's aimed at targeting one system, but like almost every medication, it has an impact on other systems. And with hormonal birth control, it impacts every single system in your body. So if you understand, although it is designed to affect your uh, menstrual cycle, your reproductive tract, however, it impacts every single system, you can come to understand how not only can you have many symptoms that come up when you start hormonal birth control, but also when you discontinue it. So hormonal birth control depletes nutrients. So that's definitely a big one. Magnesium, zinc, selenium, B vitamins, CoQ10, uh, vitamin C, vitamin A. So everything that you need to have a healthy immune system, a healthy gut, a healthy brain, run your neurotransmitters. I mean, uh, there is so much that all of these nutrients do in your body. We've also come to understand that hormonal birth control behaves in a similar way like antibiotics in terms of how it reduces the microbial diversity in your gut. So it has been compared to antibiotics and there's some researchers and doctors who've been like, nah, it's similar to antibiotics. No big deal. Like we see that with antibiotics. How many people- It's crazy to me. Yeah, I know, right? And this is the first time I feel like I'm, well, I read it in your book, but um, 
you know, this year really is the first time that I feel like I'm, I'm learning this information. Yeah. Even as a doctor, I'm like, what? I had no idea. Um, and then even the nutrient deficiencies, like I, I figured it would uh, deplete a few nutrients, but all those nutrients. And yeah. so to me, that makes a lot of sense. Like if somebody's already deficient in magnesium, which is super common or B12, which mm -hmm. is super common, then you get on the hormonal birth control and then it's just going to deplete it more contributing to their unique symptom. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And let's like, you know, look at the fact that some women have migraines and they have painful periods and that could be rooted in a magnesium deficiency. And then they're given hormonal birth control to fix those things sticks in quotations. Um, and then they're just depleting that nutrient more. So then when they come off, those periods are worse. Those headaches may be worse. And so that's something really important to understand is that if you're not asking why before you write that prescription for that woman, you may be doing harm. And what is the, one of the very first tenets of being a doctor? Do no harm. Like right. that is what we seek out to do. And that's a problem with hormonal birth control. And I'm not hating on any doctors because certainly if you're taught and you're educated and you believe that if, if a woman has period problems and I give her this pill, it will fix everything. Then why wouldn't you want to do that? You would want to do that because you want exactly. to help her. But if you don't ask why, so, you know, we know that like 58% of women some, some studies have said more, are primarily taking birth control for symptom management. That could be due to hypothyroidism, polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, nutrient depletions, um, elevated prostaglandins, because you've got an imbalance of omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids in your diet. Like, there is always a reason why, and that is the best part about being a doctor. And what I think naturally doctors do so well is we ask why. And, and you know, I tell my patients, I'm basically like a three-year-old who just keeps <laughs> asking why until I got to that place where I can't ask why anymore. So we were talking about the nutrient depletions with hormonal birth control. There's the way it impacts the gut. It can lead to intestinal hyperpermeability or what's known as leaky gut. That's one step closer to developing an autoimmune disease. And in fact, when uh, this study came out of Harvard several years ago, um, my jaw dropped and most people still have not heard of it. I write about this in Beyond the Pill. It's in, there's an entire chapter to gut health, guys, because gut health is everything when it comes to hormones, but everything with birth control as well really gets rooted in the gut. And this study out of Harvard said, if you have a family history of Crohn's disease and you spend five years or more on the pill, you're at a 300% increased risk of Crohn's disease. This explained why so many of my patients had this timeline of, I started the pill, then I got gut symptoms and the patients that did actually develop Crohn's. And just so you know, just because they say five years doesn't mean that like you should get on it and know that you have a five-year expiration date. When you get to five, you got to stop and then you can prevent Crohn's disease. Nope. I've seen patients yeah. on it as little as a year developing Crohn's disease. And, you know, it's something that like all you have to do is ask you your family history or do some genetic testing and you would know your risk for that. So we've got the gut piece. We've also got that hormonal birth control is inflammatory. It strains the adrenal glands. It depletes nutrients and messes with how the thyroid actually functions and your ability to use thyroid hormone. It has an impact on your liver, on your gallbladder, on your vaginal tissue. You can end up with vaginal atrophy that is thinning of the tissue. I've talked with physical therapists who work with women who have dyspareunia, pain with intercourse, also a common thing that can happen with birth control. And they say, these women's vaginas in their 20s look like those of their 50s because they're not getting the hormonal stimulation they need to have. Well, and isn't a lot of that have to do with uh, low testosterone as well? 
Low testosterone. Yeah. So there's low testosterone. There's the fact that there's no progesterone. You're only getting progestin and then you're getting synthetic estrogen. And so it's all this stimulation that's lacking. And so that's what happens as we enter menopause as well, is that our hormones drop, the tissue starts thinning, we have vaginal dryness, we can lose our libido. That's the sneaky way that birth control really works is that you don't want to have sex. Like it can become painful. You can't have an Who orgasm. <laughs> Some women have pain with an orgasm, but by Binding up that testosterone definitely drops your libido. And that's by way of how it, one, suppresses ovarian production, and two, changes the genetic expression of sex hormone binding globulin in your liver, which binds up your testosterone. So, you know, that's just like, you guys, I could keep going for everybody listening. If you're like, oh my God, there's an entire book on this. <laughs> there is, indeed. Well, and I'm like, I'm kind of thinking about all the things that you talked about in the book mm -hmm. that we haven't even discussed yet. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's an entire book. So, I mean, now we're kind of in this space where we understand maybe what birth control might be doing to us when we're on it. What about when we come off? Like, does it, do all those things stop? Do we normalize? Do we get better automatically when we stop the pill or not? Yeah, I wish uh, that it all just went away. <laughs> so here's the thing. Um, Post-birth control syndrome is a real phenomenon. And there are many people out there who love to shut me down and say, you're just making this up. And I'm like, okay, so one, I personally went through it. So thank you for dismissing my personal journey. But also to that, I always say, you could talk then. You could tell the hundreds of thousands of women who have complained about this that it's not real because that is that is the big problem. Like when you are waiting on a study to validate what your patient who is your best teacher is saying to you, you're missing out on crucial data. And how do you think we got to answering exactly as you said, how do you think we get to answering those right questions by asking the right questions, by listening to what people's experience is. And so with post-birth control syndrome, this can be the return of symptoms that you had previously. So for example, acne, about 14% of women are prescribed the pill for acne. And you know, they, whenever people are like, it fixed my acne or it cured my acne, I ask, well, what happens when you stop? Well, it comes back. Well, then it didn't really fix it. And by the way, if we were to give a drug that shut down your entire digestive system because you were having gas, do we think we fixed the gut or did we just stop it? We stopped it. And so this is where we really need to have the conversation about respect in women's medicine because there seems to be this lack of respect about our reproductive physiology in which it's okay just to shut it down and not ask what's the repercussions of that. Oh, definitely. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where they were just like, let's just remove your uterus. Let's just get rid of it all. <laughs> you totally. know, hysterectomies yeah. were so common. We still have a lot of them now. Mm -hmm, right. I mean, for, for similar issues, you know, oh, you're, oh, yeah. you know, bleeding incessantly after you're supposed to be in menopause. Eh, let's just take it out. Mm -hmm. And the thing I explain to women and women listening, understand this, like, please like go back and listen to this and write it down is that if let's say you had a hysterectomy because you had fibroids, if they removed the organ, did they actually address the root cause? No, they did not. They only removed the organ that was being affected. And if the root cause of that is that your liver is processing your estrogen incorrectly, you're making more 16 hydroxy estrone, you can know this on the lab test, that will stimulate things to grow. Well, if they remove your uterus, they didn't remove the issue. And please no, removing the liver is not the answer here. But with that, what happens next? Well, it goes and it stimulates breast tissue. So while your uterus might be gone, you might be at higher risk of breast cancer because studies have shown that women who develop breast cancer, they have a history of an elevated 16-hydroxy estrone. So just because they took your uterus doesn't mean you're in the clear. 
Yes, you might get relief. Yes, it may have been necessary depending on your condition and what was going on, but it did not address the root cause. And this is where, you know, we need the surgeons. We certainly do, but we also need the experts who can ask why and really get to the root of what's going on on the individual level, because it's not the same for everyone. As humans, we do have commonalities, like we all need to sleep and poop and drink water. Like these are very common things, but there's also nuances to your environment your family history, your genetics. We have to be looking at all of those things. So post-birth control syndrome can be the return of symptoms that you had before. And I hate to break it to you, but if you used birth control to suppress symptoms from before and you don't prep your body before you come off, they can come back with a vengeance. And acne is one I bring up because that is like the bit, one of the biggest reasons I see for women to jump right back on birth control because nobody likes looking like a teenager and breaking out in their 40s. Like that's just not sure. that. Nobody wants that. And so the other thing with post-birth control syndrome is it can be an onset of new symptoms that you never had before. So post-birth control syndrome, like all syndromes, is a collection of signs and symptoms. And these signs and symptoms, you can have them all or you can have a few of them and they can present in different ways. And so as we talked about, it impacts every single system in your body. So you may have heavy periods, irregular periods, uh, period pain for the first time ever. Maybe you're having new onset of eczema, psoriasis, acne, cystic acne. With acne post-birth control, it tends to show up everywhere. So it's not just your face, it's your chest, your back, your neck, your butt, like everywhere. It's the worst. And so, and, and ladies, if you're listening to this, like in my book, I do give protocols around acne. So don't, don't freak out if you're like, oh my God, that's going to happen to me. It doesn't have to. There is a way to work with your body. We can also see no onset of digestive issues, uh, gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea. We can see neurological issues. So now you're developing headaches, migraines, anxiety, depression, mood swings, having just weird symptoms altogether. And so it can really show up in a number of ways. And it tends to really uh, let itself be known around six months after stopping birth control. Sooner for some women, much later for other women. And I will say, I've seen women, you know, who have been off of birth control five years, 10 years, and they're like, well, my doctor said it can't be related to birth control. It's so far, it's been so far since I've, you know, been on that. When we go through their timeline, there are those symptoms. When they came off of birth control, there they were. And what happened? They grew and they grew and they grew over time. And this is where it's very different to be working with a naturopathic or functional medicine physician because we're actually going to go through your whole history and connect those dots. Like that's what we do. We take the puzzle pieces, we put them together, and we present the picture to you. And we don't think, okay, the problem you have right now started yesterday or started today. We're like, okay, the problem you have right now started decades ago and we have a different philosophy and we're taught in a different way to go and unearth that and spend the time going through that. Your conventional doctor is not taught in that way. They're taught more in an acute medicine paradigm. You have a problem right now. What's the, what's the pill I can give you? What's the surgery? What's the person I refer you to to correct the problem right now as if it started right now? And there's, like, there's a time and a place for that for sure. There is no one modality of medicine that is best, but there is a modality of medicine that is best for what you are seeking in that moment. Yes. So true. So let's talk about fertility because this is mastering your fertility. And so a lot of these things can have just a massive impact on a woman's ability to conceive. So, I mean, obviously we're talking about hormone imbalances that has a huge impact, but some of these other things like gut health and inflammation and autoimmunity, I mean, these all have a big impact on ability to conceive as well. Oh yeah. And I appreciate you bringing that up because um, <clears throat> as we were talking about actually before we started recording was the Good Morning America article that I was in talking about the myths. And one of the myths that a doctor brought up is that birth control impacts your fertility. Now, I feel like 
every single time I have seen like in the last two decades that people are going to bust birth control myths. That's like a go-to one of doctors. Like it's always like, let's pull the fertility card because women are scared that it'll affect their fertility. And that's a, that's, and you know, I want to say this, I had a medical doctor say this to me and it really was eye opening. He said, if, you know, if you are trying to change the paradigm and the thinking you of doctors, you have to understand whatever we were taught in residency is gospel. We take it like it's the Bible. And it's very, very hard to change our minds after that. And this is something that many doctors are taught in school and they are taught in residency and they're taught in continuing medical education is hormonal birth control in no way can impact your fertility. Tell women not to worry about it. They're silly for worrying about it. Let me tell you women, if there is anything that your instinct ever says, pause, worry, be concerned. It is serving you. Like that is where we've got very lost on our path is, and never trust anyone who tells you not to trust your instinct. Okay. <laughs> like if they're telling you not to trust your instinct, like what are they trying to pull on you? Um, what is that about? So <laughs> with this, a lot of women have questioned this and a lot of women, uh, with fertility, uh, have experienced issues with this. So let's, let's flush this out. We do not have research at this time that says, Birth control causes fertility issues. Birth control can cause infertility. We don't have the research to say that. That is true. And what some doctors will say is, well, you had, you had PCOS or you had an issue, a pre-existing condition that could have lent itself to infertility. And therefore, it wasn't the pill. When you came off, it was just that you always had this condition. Hmm. And to that, I say, if that was ever a question in your mind, how dare you put her on birth control without ever once discussing that with her. And that's a possibility because this is something that's done, you know, endometriosis, for example, these women are given birth control. Nobody questions endometriosis. It's estimated that's 12% of infertility cases. Like right. uh, hormonal birth control, well, it can help with symptoms. There can be a time and a place to use it in endometriosis management, not discussing that this disease is rooted in inflammation and birth control is inflammatory. I mean, that's just one piece of the disservice being done polycystic ovarian syndrome. These women have a hard time conceiving because this condition, I mean, one of the hallmarks is anovulatory cycles. They don't ovulate. So they have irregular cycles and their doctor meets them at 14 with a pill to regulate their period. Now they bleed regularly, never mind. It's just a pill bleed and it's not actually fixing their period. And then at 30 something, they're like, I'm ready to have a baby. Whoops. You actually had PCOS all along and it was being masked with birth control. So yes, it can be for, from a pre-existing condition. But as we've come to understand, and I've looked into the research on this, some women can take up to 18 months to start ovulating again. There's studies that have shown this, that coming off of birth control, it could take you a good year and a half to start ovulating again. So what if you're 35 and you're like, well, I want to have a baby in a couple of years. And so you think at 37, you're going to come off of birth control, but then it takes you until like 39 to start ovulating. We know age has an impact on our fertility. So that's one thing we need to be having a discussion rather than dismissing that like, no. And then, then doctors will say, well, it's because you're old. That's the problem. Well, like you didn't right. educate her. She didn't know that like, if this was the case that maybe she wanted to start when she was 30 and like, I'm in my thirties. I didn't have a baby until, you know, I was 31. And I, I will tell you, like, it's, I even had moments where I was like, I kind of, don't want a baby for another decade, but I want a baby. And like, but like I knew what I knew about fertility and about birth outcomes with that. Now there's the piece you were talking about that gets, does not get enough airtime in my opinion, and really doesn't get investigated in the research is that there are, there's these confounding variables, so to speak. But the, the reality is, is that if you're inflamed, 
If your gut microbiome is disturbed, your microbiome becomes baby's microbiome. If you have nutrient depletions, like all of these things can impact fertility as is, like in any woman. And if birth control is inducing all of that, then why couldn't it have an impact on fertility as well? Now, the other interesting thing is that hormonal birth control does lower the risk of certain cancers, and endometrial cancer is one of those. And the hypothesis is really that it downregulates receptors in which these hormones can't dock onto the receptors in the endometrium, so the endometrium doesn't grow. Now, you guys read my book, so you know this analogy that I used is that uh, when a baby goes to implant, it's basically looking for that like soft down comforter to cuddle up in, but after birth control, what reproductive endocrinologists have come to observe is that the endometrial lining might not get thick enough for implantation. So instead, it's kind of like it's thin. So it's like this hard floor. Like, which do you want to cuddle up in? You want to cuddle up in the down comforter and get all cozy. So this is one of the most heartbreaking things is that you can get pregnant, but you can't actually stay pregnant. You can't maintain that pregnancy because of the impact. And so we need a lot more research on this to understand like, who's affected and how much of a role uh, does this play in the infertility cases that we see. So that's just a few of the things that could go on. There's certainly a lot more to consider, but I think that really the myth the myth is not that birth control can impact your fertility. The myth is that, you know, we don't question it and that, oh no, there's no way that it could. So the other thing I want to speak to about that um, is that we have to understand this is a drug that's high enough dose and it is a drug. We forget that it's a drug and it's a medication and it shuts down brain ovarian communication. There's a brilliant researcher, Geraldine Pryor, who is seeking out to answer this question. What happens when we do this in very young women? Because it can take up to a decade is what, what she has found for brain ovarian communication to be established. And when a woman you know, starts her period, it's not uncommon to have irregular periods. We're starting to establish that, but sometimes the body isn't, there's not the grace to let the body figure it out and do its job. And instead we come in with a medication that interrupts the maturation process and shuts it, shuts it down, puts it on hiatus. So what I've seen with post-birth control syndrome is that the younger a woman is when she started hormonal birth control, the more likely it is she is to have symptoms of post-birth control syndrome that mimic a little closer to puberty. And I hate to say it, but it's almost like puberty is a necessary, necessary part of the adventure, of the human adventure. Um, but this is is certainly something we see. And so then the question that we really have to answer is like, if we interrupt the maturation process, you know, at a young age, are these perhaps the women who are at higher risk of infertility when they come off of hormonal birth control? So there's a lot of questions we have to answer really and it starts by not being dismissive and stop perpetuating dogma. I mean, it's really, it's, it's dogma and myths that are perpetuated in medicine. And you know, it's why I get a lot of haters and backlash because people, when you start to challenge a story that's been told over and over again, that's convenient. It's convenient for doctors. Sometimes it's convenient for women as well. You know, that like that can really light people up, but we have to stay humble. We have to stay curious and we have to ask these questions because these are people's lives that we're dealing right. with. And so it's not okay just to be like, let's just dismiss everything women uh, talk about because we don't have a research study to validate it. Well, yeah. And, and where are we going to get the research studies? We have to ask the questions, right? Like we have to believe patients when they're coming in and saying that these symptoms exist, that they correlate with when they came off of birth control or when they went on birth control, you well, know, and, and somebody has to fund it. 
too. Yeah. So can we like, just be fair for a second here? Like whenever people are like, they want to hate on like Bayer or these pharmaceutical companies for things that they do. We have to remember, although they are in health, they are a business. And so a lot of the decisions are business decisions. And when you view it through that lens of like the marketing and business decisions, you can be like, Oh, well that makes sense. They're not evil. They're trying to be profitable. Like that's what's going on here. It just happens that like, this is in the arena of health and human bodies. And it has a layer of ethics there that other businesses don't necessarily have. But when people will say like, uh, you know, I've had people, um, great, brilliant female researchers, and I appreciate them asking this question. They say, you know, if you want to change women's medicine and you wanted to bring this to the forefront, you want to bring legitimacy to post-birth control syndrome, why didn't you do clinical trials? Why haven't you started studies? And to that, I say, one, somebody has to fund that. Two, we know that like that's going to take time. And three, once that study comes out, it doesn't mean that people, it will be dismissed. There will be people who dismiss it and are critical right. as we should be critical of every study. But the other thing is that it could take 10, 20 years before it actually gets into clinical practice. To me, we need to change women's medicine like yesterday. The way we do that is by putting the medicine in women's hands they are the living proof that goes to their doctor. They show them what's possible. They show society what is possible and that we really institute change in that way. But in addition to that, if I had to wait, so the average is 17 years before a study gets into clinical practice and doctors, and even then, it's only if your doctor actually took the continuing medical education to hear it. But with that, you know, I won't be menstruating anymore if I waited for that. Like, I don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. We don't have time as right. women to wait around for science and medicine to catch up. And so that's why I'm like, I have a choice. Like, do I go into like a decade of trying to do this research and trying to change doctors' minds or do I help women heal themselves now so that they can heal other women, so that they can tell their stories, so that we can start to create this change? That is how we create the change because that other model that I could have certainly done, that's the way we've been doing things for so long. And look at how much change we've been able to make. It's been very slow. And yeah. so with that, I'm like, and, and really... I much prefer the idea of empowering the patient that your doctor is not the end all be all and everything and reminding them that you've always had the power to heal your body. And that's a little bit where we got lost in medicine too is when we told patients, hey, and like this wasn't us because we weren't even born yet when this happened. Um, but like, don't worry about your diet. Don't worry about your lifestyle. We have chemistry. We have science. We'll just fix it when there's a problem. And like, go to your doctor for everything. And don't listen to your grandma when she talks to you about doing this cough syrup at home. <laughs> exactly. Your doctor's got a white coat Cold on. Liver oil. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't need to eat liver. No. Yeah. And that's so much what we see though in, I think, uh, you know, what we're seeing a lot of the chronic disease is that uh, people don't feel, you know, necessarily like they have the power to really control their health. And we need to shift that because they absolutely do. The healing that happens and the things that keep you out of the doctor's office, they all happen outside the doctor's office. Absolutely. Yeah. And so speaking on that, in your book, you have put together so many great protocols. Um, I'm just um, floored by everything. It's just kind of a step-by-step, -step, like really, they just look at this book and they're like, okay, great. I have I can do this. this. And like, yeah, they can get started right away, which I just love. It's like having a naturopathic visit, um, in a book <laughs> because you put all of your patient, um, experience in the book too. So when our, our listeners are coming off of birth control, some are probably 
on it right now and thinking, oh, I want to come off soon because I want to start getting pregnant. So how long would you say they should be working on like replenishing nutrients? How long should they wait before they start trying? And then also like what kind of um, things that could they be doing that are just really practical things they could be doing at home? Yeah. Well, okay. So if you're on birth control right now, you have to be replenishing your nutrients. So um, you need, you know, the answer of like, if I want to get pregnant in the future, when should I start a prenatal? It's now. (laughs) You should start that now. So getting on a quality prenatal and being mindful that you're using methylated or active B vitamins, um, making sure that it's got the right selenium and iodine balance because of the impact of um, hormonal birth control on your thyroid. Um, this is something where hypothyroidism could predispose you to having fertility issues. And so um, you want to make sure, you know, one of the best things that you can do, and this is how I formulated my prenatal, is make sure you have 200 micrograms of selenium in preconception. It really helps with the thyroid TPO antibodies and glutathione, which is an antioxidant that'll protect your ovaries. So right now is the time to start a multivitamin and start dialing in your diet. And I show you how to do that in the book. The book is very much about diet and lifestyle first. Then that's why, you know, we did put some supplement protocols in the beginning of the book. I was resistant to that. I wanted to put them all in the back because I was really trying to drive home that food and lifestyle have to be first in all of this. And yet you will, you will, if you are in a healing phase, you will need to use supplements. And the reality of the state of the planet and what is happening with our food supply, we need to be, we need to be supplementing uh, with, you know, a multivitamin or prenatal to make sure that we give our baby the best step forward. Now, when you come off of birth control, you need to give yourself six months or more. This is a very interesting thing that happened during the timeline of the book. If anybody listening, if you've ever written a book, then when I say it's like a boomerang, you know exactly what I mean. You're like, I'm done. Here it is. The publishers are like, here it comes nope. back. And back and forth and back and forth. Well, the really cool thing and all that back and forth is that I had written in the manuscript you need to give yourself at least six months to prep your body when you come off of birth control. A year is better. Two years is awesome. Okay. So, but you know, sometimes like we're thirties and we're like, I want a baby tomorrow. And so six months is like all your mental health can really handle in, in terms of starting to try. So with that, I wrote this six months because this is what I observed clinically. If women prep their body for a good six months, baby mama had the best outcomes in pregnancy and postpartum. This was clinical observation. And this also makes sense because the maturation process of an egg is 90 days. So the egg that you ovulate with this month was actually maturing three months ago. Uh, you know, very important thing for women to understand. So giving yourself a few cycles of prepping, getting your gut healthy again, because again, your microbiome becomes baby's microbiome. That's everything if you want to prevent autoimmune disease, eczema, allergies, uh, and your baby have a, like a long, healthy life, take care of your gut. So with that, The manuscript comes back and it came back at a time when a study had just come out showing that women who get pregnant within six months of stopping birth control, their babies were at higher risk of childhood cancers. This is the first time a study has been really able to show this. And they said it was a mild increased risk. So we've got a lot more questions around this and we need a lot more research to understand it. But it was interesting because I, my editors, my husband, anybody who was familiar with this chapter of the book asked me, they said, did you know this? Did you know that children were at increased risk of cancer if you got pregnant within six months? I'm like, how could I know that? The study just came out. I didn't know that. But I was able to include that in the 
book. It's like, this is one more consideration of why we should give it more time and why that myth, okay, in medicine of like, it doesn't affect your fertility. In fact, you can get pregnant like as soon as you stop the pill. Well, like maybe that's true. Maybe it's not for you, but also should you? Should you actually And the answer is no, because um, we enter into pregnancy more nutrient depleted than we've ever been before, historically speaking, because our food supply is so depleted. And with that, if you're on a medication that depletes nutrients, especially very, very crucial ones for babies, which by the way is like all nutrients, but like for some reason we give more play to folate and B12 um, because of things like spina bifida, like these, these things that we can actually see, but like mm-hmm. antioxidants are just important. Like all of these other things are just important, um, you know, as, as a baby is maturing and developing. So with that, there is reason to give pause. If you come off the pill, if you do want to come off the pill, you know, you want to have a baby in the future. If you could come off and give yourself a good two years to prep your body, that's going to be so much easier on you and baby and better outcomes when you have baby, because this is something, my first book was on postpartum health, something else that like, we don't talk about that really gets brushed under the rug. You know, in the United States, it's like, you'd rest for six weeks and then you're fine. And every other country in the world is like, you need to rest. Like, for real. It takes, and it takes time. Like, like how ridiculous is that? It takes almost a year to grow a human in your body and to change your body, but it should only take a month and a half to get your, to get your body back. Like these are myths in women's medicine that have hurt us and that hold us back and hold us down. And really they hurt our body, but they hurt us mentally because we think, we think something is wrong with us. Like when you can't be right. that super mom or something's wrong with you because you didn't get pregnant the month after you came off of birth control. When in fact, it's, that's just not the norm. It's not as, um, it's not as common as really we've been led to believe. Yeah, totally agree with that. So when somebody is uh, coming off birth control and let's say they're like, yes, I'm going to go the full two years. What are some things that they can do to help prevent pregnancy during those two years. That's chapter 13 of my book and step one of coming off of birth control. (laughs) So step one of coming off of birth control is have a backup method. No matter if you want to get pregnant or not, have a backup method. And that backup method might be condoms at first. And I know everybody wants to eye roll. It's like, um, I swear this was like an, a marketing agenda of hating on condoms um, in order to like get us on these hormones. Um, and I get that like hor- condoms might not be fun, but also understand that if you are on hormonal birth control and you're not in a monogamous relationship, having regular testing, you need to have condoms. That's a very important thing. So you'll read about that and be on the pill how birth control may leave you more susceptible to contracting sexually transmitted infections. You need to be in the know about that. That's some real stuff right there because it is possible to contract an STI, not know about it, and end up infertile as a result of that. So you've got to be in the know about that. So you may also want to leverage something like fertility awareness method. I think that is probably the best uh, birth control and future fertility, like getting pregnant method there is for contraceptives. Now, the FDA last year, so there are still doctors who are like fertility awareness method. It, like we call like you know we call that like I'll see you next month when you're pregnant method or like you know they make these jokes mm-hmm. because that's what we were taught we were taught that it's like high risk and there's also this undercurrent of like women are too dumb to understand their bodies and that's BS like I'm gonna call BS on that like in fact you don't have to have a medical school education to understand how your body works and I taught you that in Beyond the Pill and I've had so many women read Beyond the Pill and be like this is the first time I actually understand how my body works and fertility awareness method takes you that next level. 
And last year, the FDA actually approved the first femtech device as a contraceptive known as Natural Cycles. So Natural Cycles and Daisy, they use uh, similar technology. They've both been around for a long time. Femtech is awesome. I love it but it never replaces knowing your own body. So understand that, like if you're gonna do fertility awareness method, you can use these tech devices, they're awesome. I hate paper charting personally. I love taking charge of your fertility, great book. But when it came to paper charting, I was like, forget that, I'm gonna do that. No. <laughs> so having these femtech devices, like apps and even these thermometers is really helpful. You still need to check in on for a cervical mucus. And I really think meeting with a fertility awareness uh, educator is where it's at. They're educated way more than doctors are about how to use this method and use it appropriately. And why I like this is you will know your body really well. You will know when you ovulate and you will know how and when to get pregnant. And, you know, I just had somebody write me the other day. They're like, I read your book and I finally, like I've been trying to get pregnant. I finally understand when I should be trying because my doctor told me just have sex every other day. What? And her doctor said, just have sex every other day. And she's like, and I've been doing that for almost a year and I haven't gotten pregnant. And she's like, and then when I read your book and it was like, wait a minute, here's the fertile window. This is the day I ovulate. Guess what? We got pregnant. We got pregnant the first time we tried it because we knew exactly when to get pregnant. And like, how powerful is that to know your own body and to be able to conceive when you want to conceive and not conceive when you don't want to conceive? Exactly. Right. So in chapter 13, my book, I go through the non-hormonal contraceptive options that are available talk through all of those. At the time I wrote the book, I did write about Esher. I brought in one of the leading experts in Esher removal to talk about why that wasn't a good idea. And then the Netflix documentary came out. And uh, that's been another funny thing where people are like, whoa, did you watch the Netflix documentary and put it in the book? And I'm like, that's a fun idea to think I could turn a book around that quick. But books are, <laughs> you know, this book was like more than eight years in the making in terms of like what everything I was documenting and writing. And then it's another two years um, when you get in with working with publishers, the books are a long time. And so people have been uh, saying to me like, in your next book, can you write about this? Like, you know, do you think that's something? And then people are like, can you, will you get a book out next year? And I'm like, <laughs> I'll see you in a decade. That's, right. that's a great idea. I'm like, give me a few years. We'll work on that. But, um, you know, just to answer your question about like, you know, the fertility awareness method, copper IUD, like there are lots of other options out there, but understand women, it's all about what works best for you and where you're at in your life and not, not, there is no contraceptive. That's one size fits all. We're all very unique and we need to see more iterations on all of this, but the most affordable. So as everybody started to get really in a panic about the cost of contraceptives and IUDs in terms of the political climate, the thing I said is, you know, it's the cheapest thing in the world. And, uh, you know, the thing that like no government can control is, you knowing your body, you knowing your body, like no policy can change the fact that you see fertile cervical mucus. No policy can change the fact that your temperature spikes. Like, and, and that is a, in this current, you know, current climate, uh, it's a radical act to know your body so well that you can advocate for yourself and control your fertility in that way. Right. Um, and then, you know, I just want to say one, one more piece. If you are coming off of hormonal birth control and you do want to get pregnant, it's a really good idea to work with a doctor on that because you, you may be able to get pregnant and that's very much the more conventional perspective is how do we get you pregnant? But in my practice, we say mama is the seed in the soil. 
you are, you want the best heirloom seeds and you want the best soil to grow it in. And so really doing your due diligence and working with somebody to get what I call pre-baby body ready can have, make all the difference in the world, not only for your health and your postpartum, but also for your baby and not your baby, baby, but your baby who's then 40 or 60, or maybe they live to be a hundred. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if we can implement all of this, maybe we'll get back to a place where our next generation can live until they're a hundred, which would yeah. be really nice. And that's kind of what we're all about is it's not just about getting pregnant. It's about staying pregnant. It's about having a child that doesn't suffer from all of these chronic conditions that are preventable right. when we do a lot of these interventions, preconception. You know, I was that kid. I grew up like that with all of those issues that you mentioned, you know, from bad microbiome balance. And you know, that, that has turned into some pretty miserable autoimmune issues for me over time. And so, I mean, this is like, this is kind of the real world. This is, this is how that actually manifests in an adult, you know, and we can see that now and we can see that in the research and it's really powerful. So thank you for that. So true. And I do want to say like, you know, for women who are listening, who might be moms, like <clears throat> you can do everything right and still have issues. So I prep my body, uh, before my son, I, you know, took prenatal fish oil, probiotics. He's been on probiotics, vitamin D and fish oil since birth. Like we ate straight out of the garden. I have a toxin-free house and have for a decade, more than a decade now, a toxin-free yard, like never sprayed poison in my yard. Like there were all of these things I knew and I did. And my son still went on to develop pandas slash pans. Like, and that is an autoimmune condition that affects the brain in children. He all, you know, with all of that, he's actually been able to come out of it a little quicker than other children have, but it's been very eye-opening to me. And it's, uh, it was a huge, like, we all know, we all know the planet is suffering. That was a huge wake up call. Cause as I started talking to more and more moms who had done their due diligence, who are doing everything right and realizing that their children are still struggling in some way to that we are living, we've broke the planet, like we've broke the planet and now we're breaking humans as a result. And we, you know, we were cocky as humans to think that, uh, you know, we could do everything that we've done, uh, to the earth and we're all guilty in some way. Okay. So like, I'm not saying like, Oh, I'm so perfect. Like, but it's something that like, you know, what we've done to the entire planet and the chemical soup that we live in, our children are now the canaries in the coal mine. It's why they're not living as long. I mean, my husband's family, they're all centarians. They all live into their hundreds. We're very much faced with the reality. And I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it of like, my son might not live as long as me because of what we've done to the planet. And if we, I'm going to start crying here, but if we don't turn stuff around, <laughs> like we as an entire species are going to cease to exist and we are it's, it's going to be very painful. It's not going to be like one day we wake up and humans aren't here. It's going to be a very painful road of watching these small humans struggle. And that is why, I mean, I think now more than ever, we really have to be mindful and conscious of what we are doing to our bodies as women because we are the caretakers of the human race. We are the lineage. Our mitochondria are the mitochondria of the entire species. Like, um, and that's why it gets so heated about the dismissal of women's stories about birth control and what it can do and the way that we treat women in women's health, because this isn't just a question about that woman's body. This is a question about the entire species. Absolutely. I'm like, we're all a little misty right now. <laughs> 
just thinking about that. I mean, because that's truly like why we decided to get into this work and why we decided to go into business together Absolutely. and like create this product because, you know, we, we just, we get that and we see it. And like, even the research is starting to really validate that and, and show some of those issues that, that are coming up from the decisions that we've made, you know, as, as a planet, as a people. Um, and it's, well, we need a a really strong, smart next generation in order to clean up our freaking mess. (laughs) To to take this on. And and we are not creating those children right now with what we're doing. So Um, Mm -hmm. I I can also, I don't know if you've heard about this, but out of Eugene, Oregon, there's a group of small young kids all the way up to like 16 years old who are suing the federal government um, for using fossil fuels still in America. And this lawsuit, like, especially under the Trump administration was like, (laughs) was like, oh, we're just going to sweep this under the rug and it's just going to go away. And it hasn't. And it's been like a year and a half and they're now like, um, you know, fighting their way up to the Supreme Court and they're thinking it might potentially. Wow. Actually, they might sue the government. So I absolutely, I love to see that. Like, I love to see that generation taking control and saying, Mm -hmm. no, you can't do this to us anymore because you're not going to be around to see what it does to our generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something that like, you know, there's so many things that we could change if we put humans first and the, and we had the best outcome for the planet in mind rather than capitalism and consumerism. And uh, it was actually, my husband was talking to me about this just yesterday where he was like, if we taxed corporations for their packaging, if we actually said to them, should you use this packaging, we're taxing you for the way we have to process it after it arrives to the consumer. Instead of you know adding things like a bottle tax to the consumer to have to pay for that, oh, there you if go. we did that yeah. to the corporations, they would shift, shift their packaging. And it's like, we all use Amazon that's not going to go away. Like I, I like the idea of, you know, shopping at mom and pop shops. I definitely, I'm like, tell people go to a local bookstore. I still love bookstores. Okay. Um, and I, you know, we're in Portland. It's a very different climate here. We shop local, we support local. It's very, it's a very different way, but I'm sure we all still use Amazon at some point. I mean, it's not going to go away. And sometimes you get these Amazon boxes and sorry, Amazon, I know I'm kind of picking on you. You're not the only ones. Let me just say that like, you're not the only ones, but you get like, you get this tiny little item that's like bubble wrapped and then there's more plastic and then there's peanuts around it. And it's this huge box and you're like, and, and we have like code word in our uh, house of like, if we're going to like avoid something, we use code word sea turtles of like sea turtles, like, um, you know, going to, um, you know, to like a, a local place and they have plastic straws. My son will say sea turtles. And we all know that means like, we are going to opt out of this. Like we are, we're going to say no, thank you. And it's just kind of like our word that we use of like, so it's not this big display, but it That's does really open up a conversation. Like we were in Whole Foods and, um, we were in Whole Foods and my son really wanted one of those bath bombs, you know, and I was reading the packages and I was like, no, this has fragrance in it. Like we can't use this because it has fragrance and like, we have to find one that's fragrance free. He's six. He's like, why do we need fragrance free? Well, because fragrance usually translates to endocrine disruptors, which means it's going to mess with your hormones. And we don't want to support a company who is not disclosing. So this is the other thing. It's a dollar vote. I don't want to support a company who thinks that just because the FDA says you can put fragrance 
fragrance on there and not tell me what it is, that that's okay. I'm not going to support you. I am not going to support you in any way. You disclose what's in there so that I can have my full consent. And should I choose to use that, that is 100% my choice, but I deserve that information. And as my son and I had this conversation, this woman was actually holding one and she put it down. And she's like, I never knew that about fragrance. And we, yeah. we selected this other one. You can actually make these at home. So I'm going to make, start making these at home because he really is into them. Epsom salt, lavender, and all this wonderful stuff, you guys. And so with that, though, we selected this different one. We had this conversation with a woman. And you better believe other people were listening to that. And so that's something that like you can do in a way that like starts to spread information. Information that like that woman deserved to have access to as well, which is why podcasts like yours are so important. Like we have to put information out there in as many many ways as possible because people learn differently. And in addition, we're starting to see regulations on social media that disfavors the consumer and disfavors patients. Um, and it's all, it's all really, I mean, at the end of the day, it all drives more for corporations, which is we need them, but we also need regulations on them. So this took like a turn away from birth control and talking about a lot of oh, other yeah. things. But I think that <laughs> yeah. things really have to be part of the conversation because to really, you know, heal ourselves, it's going to take a lot more than, than just the way we eat, just the way yeah. that we move our body. Well, this is the kind of Pandora's box that we get into. And I've talked with friends and family members about this. They're like, I don't want to know that information because if I know that information, then I have to know the next piece of information and the totally. next piece of information. And, and I found this to be true. I mean, I started getting into health and wellness because of my own issues about six years ago. And it's just, you know, every time you learn to ask a question about this, then you're like, oh crap, now I have to ask a question about this. And so it gets scary for people. But at the end of the day, you know, knowledge is power. We say that all the time. And it's just so important for us to be aware of how these things are affecting us because nobody wants to get, you know, into their, into middle age and discover like, Oh, I have an environmentally induced cancer because yeah. I didn't know that some of these things were affecting my body. No one was telling me I wasn't asking the right questions or maybe the information was there and I chose to bury my head in the sand because I didn't want to know. Oh, totally. And that is the ostrich move is what I call it. And people certainly do that where they're like, I mean, I see that all the time on my social media where people, and I have friends who are like, doesn't that just frustrate you when someone's like, why are you talking about this? I didn't need to know this. Bye. You ruined my day. And I'm like, no, look, <laughs> like if they don't, if they want to pretend it doesn't exist and put their head in the sand like the ostrich, then they can get eaten. What's the predator of an ostrich? I don't even know. I need to work on that analogy. Um, <laughs> my bit is off. Um, no, but, like, you know, so let's do a reframe on that mindset of like, I don't want to know this thing because then I have to know the next thing is that you can take little tiny steps that have huge impacts. So like that woman may not have known about fragrance in that bath bomb, but she made a choice that day not to purchase that one and to purchase a different one, which wasn't full of endocrine disruptors. So things that hate on your hormones and then, you know, so that was one little choice that she made. Then she probably went home and started looking through her stuff and seeing that like there's fragrance in my shampoo, there's fragrance in this and that. And then perhaps she made the decision of like, <clears throat> when the shampoo runs out, I'm going to select something different. When this product runs out, I'm going to select something different. And that we don't have to know everything and change everything at all at once. We can learn a little piece of information, start to implement it, make a little change. And then we ask the question, we go on to the next thing. But certainly, 
It is so easy. I mean, I can't even tell you how many nights I have spent in bed, like bawling my eyes out because I'm like so overwhelmed by like what is happening in the planet, what is happening with health, what is like, and it feels so hopeless. And yeah, then I'm like, well, wait, like, what's the one thing you can do tomorrow to make some kind of change? And we forget that, like, just because you're one person, we always want to think. Um, there's a great philosopher, uh, Emmanuel Kant, who you know he he puts out this idea of like when you go to do something and you're like, it's just me, it's just one person, ask your question, ask the question, what if everybody did this? So if you're like, oh, it's just one, you know, it's just one plastic bag, for example, it's just one plastic bag, it's no big deal. What if everybody did that? The collective of millions of people doing that, that adds up over time. It goes the opposite way as well. What if like you are the one person who selects not to bring fragrance into an environment. I mean, fragrance is an assault on our hormones. And with these, and if people are like, why are you harping on this so much? Understand that the smaller the molecule that you smell, the faster it can get into your brain. Your brain has a nerve and it's a super highway to your brain. And us women, we make up almost 66% of Alzheimer's patients. That's a degenerative neurological disease. And there is part of me that has to ask the question, we expose ourselves to a lot more perfumes and these other things than men do. Is that the only thing? No, there's never just one thing. Sorry. Like that's always a nice idea, but it's just not rooted in reality. But if you take that one step of not introducing, so you get rid of your Glade plugin. So everybody that comes in your house doesn't get exposed to that. You stop using Febreze. Uh, you're an Uber or Lyft driver. Please take your scented thing out. It's gross and gives people- The worst. Like, I hate that. Literally the worst thing ever to get into somebody's car and be like, oh my God, like assaulted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, if, if, Everybody just makes one step to better their environment. That, I mean, if everybody does that, we can have a huge impact and we don't have to get overwhelmed by all of this. And don't focus on what you can't control. Start with what you can control, which starts with what's in your house, what's, you know, in your environment. And, you know, I've been in, um, I'm now going on 22 years being in the medical and health arena. And I remember when eating organic was fringe. Like I had to go to special stores and there was one booth at farmer's market and we like the food was so expensive, which was all, it's also really dumb in this country that like you can get a hamburger for 29 cents. That's not really a hamburger. Um, but yet to get a piece of fruit, it costs so much more like America, get it together. Um, this is just (laughs) ridiculous, but with that, I remember, you know, even when I started dating my husband years ago, you know, him saying like, oh, this, like, that's not going to change. And I talked about the dollar vote and like, no, I, I put my money towards organic. I was a poor college student. I still was like, this is where we'll allocate my funds because I need to see this change. Like I believe in this so much and I need this personally. The planet needs this. And now look at where organic is. It's everywhere. It yeah, is everywhere. It really and it's is. so it at Walmart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is the, and so, you know, anytime as a, as a consumer or a patient or just a person, you feel powerless or you can't make change. Remember that conventional food, like the pesticide laden food was all there used to be. And now you can get organic everywhere. 
What about gluten-free? It's not just a trend. We see people getting sick, people demanding this. The corporations will respond to what consumers demand, and they only know this by where you spend. And that's how they start to understand. Um, And so be mindful of where you spend your money. And yes, we all have budgets, and we're not going to always be able to do the thing that serves the highest good, but do the best you can. And don't judge yourself like for what you can't do in this moment, because tomorrow is always an, another opportunity. Incredible advice. Such yes. great advice. So let's bring it back to your book. And because I feel like <laughs> a lot of what you just talked book, about, yeah, a lot of what you just <laughs> talked about is, is in your book and mm-hmm. it is about kind of making these small changes. And so I guess the first question I want to ask you about your book is how do you describe this to people? What is this book? Why do women need to read it? You know, what's really funny is I actually, um, some people have been confused thinking uh, beyond the pill. It's only about birth controllers, only about the pill. And I asked my audience, I'm like, what would you guys have called it instead? And they're like, the hormone Bible. <laughs> I laughed. I <was laughs> yeah, like, so true. They're like, you should think about calling it the hormone Bible. I'm like, um, that's a little bit like egotistic. No, like, no, well, like beyond I'm the pill, AKA the hormone Bible. Yeah. So really, you know, what I set out to do in beyond the pill is give root cause solutions to women's issues that they face beyond birth control. So I know that all day, every day you can walk into a doctor's office and say, I got lady part problems, this, that, and they'll say, here's the pill patch ring IUD. So yes, every form of contraceptive. When I talk about progestin, that's talking about the mini pill, talking about the depot shot, talking about IUD. So I talk about a lot of contraceptives in there because that is part of the conversation in women's health. There's never been a book written on this. So thank you, Harper One, who took a big risk on me um, because there's has never existed before Um, in a book of like, here are protocols of what to do if you have you know, if you do decide to use hormonal birth control, um, it's the first book ever to be published on post-birth control syndrome to go deeper into that and to give a protocol around that. And at the same time, I give the almost 60% of women who would use birth control for symptom management solutions outside of that to teach them about their body. There's a chapter to understand your hormones. There's a chapter to understand your menstrual cycle, what your symptoms actually mean, what your doctor should investigate, what labs should be done, and what you can do right now to start to reverse those symptoms. So if you have heavy periods, painful periods, irregular periods, hair loss, acne, low libido, anxiety, depression, SIBO, yeast overgrowth, gut issues, liver dysfunction, like you're having detox issues, you have adrenal disorders, thyroid disorders, all of that is covered in the book. And so I've had so many women write to me and they're like, oh my God, I got this book because I was like, oh, I, you know, I want to learn about my hormones. I had no idea I was going to learn about autoimmune disease. I had no idea I was going to learn about, you know, how, um, you know, to master my fertility and like all of these pieces that really, this is a woman's health book. And it happens to also cover a whole lot about birth control because that's the thing is that there are so many hormone books on the market, but none of them really go in depth about one of the biggest treatments that we are given as women, which is hormonal birth control. And in addition to that, they don't really um, expand on like the research, like rooted in research and clinical experience of like what happens to women on birth control, what happens when they come off of it. And so I wanted to give a very comprehensive hormone book and to do that, we have to talk about birth control. It's been the elephant in the room for decades and we're not talking about it. And believe me, people who are listening, like that are like, oh, like when they've gone the book, they're like, there's so much information in this book. 
I was contracted to turn in 65,000 words. I turned in 100,000 words. We cut it down to about 80,000 words. There is so much more I have to say about birth control that I didn't even get to get into in this book. So we have to decide like where, where are we going in the future with all of this information? Right. But really what I wanted to do was provide women with solutions beyond birth control for their symptoms and then help them know there is life after birth control. Uh, there is life beyond the pill. And certainly that there is no wrong decision to be made here. And that is something that, you know, there have been other books that vilify birth control. Um, you know, they don't offer protocols. They more talk about the political and socioeconomic issues surrounding this. But really, I didn't want to come from that place of, I mean, the, the thing that has gotten us into so much trouble is telling women what to do with their bodies. Like, I really see what we need to do is provide women with the information they need so they can make the decision that's best for their body. And if it is birth control, know how to support themselves. And that's really the aim. I want to give you everything that your doctor should have told you, what sex ed should have taught you about your body, what maybe like your mom should have discussed with you, but no one discussed with her. So that you have all that information to understand that your hormones by design were meant to give you superpowers, that your period is actually something that gives you great strength. And with that, I'm like, you know, if a woman was on her period, she'd probably solve the world's problems as precedent because of the way that hormones interact with our brain, which is a whole other podcast that we could talk about. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that we could probably talk about this with you on like 14 different podcast episodes and, and we still wouldn't have all of the information. But, you know, I can absolutely give you a 100% glowing endorsement of your book. We both can, you know, having read this, everything that you set out to do in this book that you're saying that you set out to do, you 100% accomplished. And Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> you're so welcome. I, I was mean, just thinking any girl who's going into puberty should have this as a gift. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, this would have oh, been the 13 most, years old now. Here you go. <laughs> I can only imagine how different, like my journey would have been if I'd had something yeah. like this at the very beginning, you know, when I was put on birth control and then certainly coming off of it four years ago, this would have been a godsend. I, it would have just saved me from so many different issues that I experienced when I came off of birth control. Right. So, you know, amazing work, Dr. Brighton. You are just like a, a shining beacon of light for women to move forward on this journey of balancing their hormones, reclaiming their fertility. I mean, everything we're all about here. I just literally sent a recommendation for your book to somebody who wrote us over email about some questions she had about hormones. I'm like, read this book and come back and tell me what you want to know after that. <laughs> Exactly. So I've heard them from other doctors that, well, a friend, a few of my friends, when they got the book, they were like, oh my God, this is like a clinician's manual. Like this is like, yes. yeah. and, and then I had a freak out moment where I was like, oh my God, I think I put too much information in it. Um, Dr. Isabella Wentz, she's a good friend of mine. Her book yeah. just came out. And I was texting her. I don't even know how many times I texted her this. I was like, I think I put too much in my book. Like, I think there's too much in there. I think I'm going to overwhelm people. I didn't hold anything back. And she was like, she kept texting me back and being like, that's a really good thing. Like, that's how you know you made a really good book. But I would have these moments of like, I'm going to, I'm going to overwhelm people. And like, do you do this? And like, what if I, what if I like, you know, gave too much and now people are freaking out. And like, and then she was like, send me the book. And I sent her the book and she was like, this is so good. Like, this is really, I'm like, Oh, thank goodness. But I definitely had moments of like, maybe this is too much information, but it's really something that like, I wanted women to be able to have this and build their user manual. But also I've heard from a lot of doctors and this has been so amazing so to the point of how do we change women's medicine? I have heard from so many doctors, uh, NTPs, other clinicians who have said to me, this is changing the way I practice. I'm actually working with women differently. I'm asking different questions. I'm advising differently. And I tell women, 
get the book because it's going to complement everything that we do together. And so that is awesome to me to hear from clinicians who are like, this is helping me do a better job with my patients. And I recommend it because then they can educate themselves and be better informed about why we're doing what we do. Um, that's amazing. That's just like, yeah. that makes my day. <laughs> well, and like maybe for some people they'll pick it up and they will be overwhelmed, but that's the beautiful thing about this format is that you can refer to it. You know, maybe you're right. not ready to hear about this chapter today, but maybe when you are, you can go back to that book and then you can really start to dive in. You know, you can take it in phases if you need to. So if you're overwhelmed by what you read, set it down, you know, and when you're ready, come back to it and continue learning about your body. Cause I, I think you could take a multi-year journey with this book and all the things that you could adjust and change so that you could be better and, and healthier going forward. So totally. And I actually didn't design it to be read front to back. Like it can be read front to back. <clears throat> so I should say it is designed a couple ways. So, but the way I intended it to be used is you get in you take the quiz, you identify your hormone imbalance, and then you go right to the protocols that you need so that you can start healing right away. So that literally in 10 minutes, you can get this book and in 10 minutes know what is going on and what to do about it. Because when you have a hormone imbalance, you don't have time to read 300 pages. You're cranky. Like you don't feel <laughs> like I've been there. And so you can get in and get out. Like that is something that like I have, I mean, if you could see my book, I think I own like every health book. I swear that's come out in the last like 10 years. I said this is an exaggeration, but so many of them are like, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Read another 200 pages to get to the solution. And I was like, I want to do things very differently. I want to make it choose your own adventure as individualized as possible. Get in, take the hormone quiz, get right to the solutions that you need, start implementing those. And I've had women who said, that's what they did. Then they went through the protocol for a month. They went back, they retook the quiz. And then based on that, they decided to deep dive into some of those chapters a little bit more, which is really cool to see that like, um, I just had somebody on Instagram this morning message me and say, I did the, I did the quiz. I did the protocol. I went back to the quiz. Every, like so many of the things that I had were so much better. And then it became super clear what, where I needed to still do the work. And she's like, and now I'm on, on that next phase. The book has only been out for a couple months. So, um, it's, and it's only been international as of, uh, this month as we've been speaking, it hasn't even been a full month. Um, it hasn't even been 20 days that the book has been all over the world, um, in terms of the hardback form. And so, I'm really excited to see, you know, the other ways that women are uh, using the book and to see those outcomes. But so many women are like, I, for the first time, know exactly how to be eating and like the, the, the lifestyle things that will actually move the needle for me when it comes to my hormones. And instead of taking buckets full of supplements, I'm very dialed in on like, okay, these are the key supplements. And that's, I mean, we've had probably hundreds of women writing in about the supplements and saying, I was taking all these supplements, nothing was happening. You know, they had a whole list and they're like, and then I took the quiz and I did the exact supplements you said, which many of them happened to have at home. They were taking the right things, but like they were taking all of the things and not in the right doses. And they're like, within a month, everything changed, everything shifted. And so you can, for women listening, you can read the book and you can do the diet and lifestyle. And that is, that is seriously your foundation. You must do those things and you can get results. Understand that supplements are like rocket fuel. So they take that healing to the next level. They're often necessary when you're in a healing phase. But if you are, you know, what I've heard from other women is that in some countries, like you can't get dim. In some countries, you have to have a prescription for some of these supplements. And they're like, what do I do? And I'm like, 
do everything else, everything else and add the supplements in, you know, if, if you can get a handle on them. But I explained throughout the book, like, this is like, this is dim. This is where you get dim from food. Like my background, I started in nutrition. So it's always food first, supplements second. Um, and understanding that like, you can't just, uh, the other, you know, the other thing I think we fall into is like, if you come from that conventional paradigm of like, I just take a pill if I have a symptom, then you just take a supplement. But supplements only work as well as you're working on your diet and lifestyle pieces as well. So you can't out-supplement a poor diet and lifestyle, which is to say, yeah, you can take supplements. Like if you take B vitamins, like everybody feels like, almost everybody feels better when they take B vitamins, but you're not going to feel as good as getting like a good seven to nine hours of sleep. Like that's going to win over B vitamins. <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> so I... Just have to ask, like, what's what's one piece of advice that you could give to women right now to kind of wrap things up? You know, we've just we've talked about so many things in this podcast. There's so many more things that we could talk about. Mm -hmm. But what's that one big piece of advice that you would give to women to, you know, really start to move their situation forward, to increase their hormone health and their fertility? Like, what's that one overarching thing that you would tell them? I would tell women, you know your body better than anyone else. You're not crazy. Symptoms are not in your head. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You know what's normal for you and you know what's not normal. And if your doctor is telling you that what you're experiencing is normal, recognize that it's common. Because who sees doctors but sick people who need help? So they see it a lot. It's very common, but it doesn't make it normal. Those are not the same things. And so you may need to work with somebody else and you should never accept feeling awful as just a state of being or a normal place to be as a woman. And so with that, track your data and dial into your body. And that is really a starting place for everybody. And I know people are like, tell me the sexy supplements and foods and all these things, but tracking your data is everything because that helps you know your body better than anyone else. And you will notice when symptoms come up before labs shift and change. And so that's very important to understand. So definitely start tracking your menstrual cycle. Start with understanding when am I fertile? When do I bleed? How long do I bleed for? Start quantifying all of that data. And then you can take that to a doctor and that quantifiable data helps you get answers a lot quicker. So then if you are not seeing fertile cervical mucus, we've got a, an issue with fertility. If you are not seeing, um, you know, we're not seeing temperature spikes, we have an issue with fertility likely, and we can start to dial in when all of that is. Now to give you a sexy supplement before we go, guys, and um, <laughs> yeah, acetylcysteine. Yeah, yes, N-acetylcysteine. I love that one. I love NAC. NAC is a precursor to glutathione, which is the mama of all antioxidants. She protects your ovaries. She protects your brain. Also why you don't get gray hair. So take note of that. Um, but NAC, it's going to also help with liver detoxification. And there's been research to show, um, specifically in polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, these women are at the highest risk of miscarriage, um, among other conditions, um, that these women, when taking NAC, they had lower rates of miscarriage and they had better outcomes in pregnancy. So NAC is definitely a great supplement for women. Great if you've ever been on hormonal birth control, if you want to conceive, if you have mood issues. Every time I read a new study about NAC, I'm like, what doesn't this do? I mean, it even helps the lysozyme in your tears. Um, for people who don't know this, your eyes are immune privileged. It means that if you get an infection there, it can be really, really bad because your immune system isn't hanging out there. And so lysozyme actually protects your eyes. So NAC protects your eyes from infections as well. Like 
what does it not do? I mean, it, I just, I'm like, it helps your lungs. Like I can keep going forever. Mm-hmm. So N-acetylcysteine though is one of those things that can be really, really helpful in uh, fertility. And then when you get into beyond the pill, there's, I list a ton of nutrients, ways of eating. And if you got uh, pregnant, you want to grab my other book, Healing Your Body Naturally After Childbirth, which when you get pregnant, you want to start planning for the fourth trimester. So everybody plans for their birth, but really we should be planning for postpartum because your babies come out like speed bagging on your adrenal glands. (laughs) Yep. All right. Well, this was amazing. Thank you so much for being with us today, for spending so much time sharing all Mm -hmm. of this incredible information. You're so passionate. And I think that's one of the things I love the most about like watching your Instagram stories, follow this lady on social media, because she is, she talks like this every single day on her Instagram (laughs) stories, like with the same passion and the same fire, just to get this information out there and to help women. And that is the kind of attitude that we need to move our care forward into, yeah into, um, what's, what's ultimately going to help us like be better and, you know, have healthier babies and better fertility and just, you know, healthier lives overall. So yeah, Yeah. we appreciate you and your work so much. We'll make sure that we link to everything in the Mm -hmm. episode description and, um, yeah, thank you for being here and have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you as well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the conversation. So thank you so much for listening and we hope that you learned some valuable information to help you towards better health and hormone balance after birth control. You can find links to Dr. Brighton's work, her book, which you must get beyond the pill and some amazing free resources that she put together for you through the link in the episode description. And then we also want to remind you about the free quiz that we mentioned at the beginning of this episode called, Are You Healthy Enough to Get Pregnant? We designed this quiz specifically to help you uncover symptoms that might hold you back from conceiving or affect the health of your future child. And we give you some great tips on how to get started with addressing them. So we go into many areas that Dr. Brighton talked about today on the episode, including nutrient deficiencies, inflammation, poor gut health, and hormone imbalances, and allow you to see exactly what area you need to focus on so you can work towards better health and fertility. So go to the episode description now and download your free quiz to get started. Lastly, we want to invite you to join us over on Instagram and Facebook at tinyfeet.co and on YouTube at Mastering Your Fertility TV, where you can actually see the live interviews there. We post new content every week to help you on your fertility journey. So thank you so much again for tuning in today, and we'll see you back next week for yet another fabulous interview. We're going to be talking with Dr. Laura Bryden and give you some great information on how to identify and address polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. Until next time.